Hello everyone, how are you doing? It's five o'clock, it's Friday evening and uh, that can only mean one thing. It, it is, uh, it is uh, Friday Sport with you for the next fi- for the next two hours uh, full of, uh, we, we'll have plenty to be talking about. We'll be looking ahead to the uh, All-Ireland Senior Football Final between uh, Kerry and... Um, between Kerry and Dublin we'll also be looking at the uh, we'll be looking back at last week's uh, hurling final with myself and uh, former Limerick senior hurler Andrew O'Shaughnessy and we'll also be looking uh, back at uh, last weekend's Formula 1 uh, Grand Prix in Hung- Hungary and looking forward to this weekend's uh, Belgian Grand Prix as well and of course uh, all that in the next two hours so uh, we hope you'll stay tuned and you'll enjoy what we have and uh, I'd like to say well done thanks and well done to uh, to Louise McMahon who, who presented another great show with some great music well done and uh, it's always great to, to hear that show and indeed all shows and as well as that um, Joe Bambrick uh, as well had another uh, great show there so thanks very much to both of them and don't forget uh, that there's uh, br- some other brilliant shows uh, some also brilliant shows on uh, Ross FM for every every day Monday to Friday from nine o'clock in the morning right through until seven o'clock in the evening. So there's something for everyone. Uh, if you're looking for uh, a bit of African culture, there is a Lovers Paradise with Lovers Pamiris, and um, that's on on the f- <clears throat> on uh, Friday mornings as well at nine o'clock. So uh, you can listen to that, and uh, it's it's very good. Some African music and uh, different discussions as well. I'd like to give a shout out to all the presenters here. And Ross of M and all the great uh, and all the great presenters and everyone behind the scenes here to keep it to keep it running. So uh, you can listen to us in many ways. You can listen to us on the radio on FM ninety four point six. You can listen to us on the radio or on the website on www.rossfm.ie forward slash live or indeed on the tune in app and don't forget uh, you know we, we'll have two hours of uh, various uh, sports here and don't forget as well on Thursday mornings from 10 to 11 there is JVU myself and spe- and guests every Thursday and of course don't forget that all the interviews that are on both shows are also podcasted they're available on Mixcloud just look to, look up on the website and search under uh, Ross FM Sport and of course all interviews are also so on um, on uh, Spotify as well, just search Aidan Raftery or uh, Faras of M Sport, and uh, you'll find them there. And also, you'll find them on. Uh, there's also interviews on. Um on on uh, you, the, or the YouTube channel at AR Sports Therapy Clinic, and uh, why not uh, when you're on any of them? Uh, why not uh, subscribe and you'll get the latest and uh, like and give us a follow there, and you'll get all the uh, the interviews the minute they go up on Mixcloud or Spotify, or indeed uh, indeed. Uh, YouTube as well, so uh, why not li- have a listen to them? And indeed, there's uh, there's great shows on the Mixed Cloud as well for Ross FM. Uh, all the shows and all the um, all the interviews are go up on there as well. So why not have a listen to? Um, of, of course, as always, we love to to hear from you. So if you have any views or if you want to give someone a shout out, uh, why not send in a text or a WhatsApp message to zero eight three eight five double nine seven four eight. That's zero eight three eight five double nine seven four eight, and we'd be delighted to read it out. And don't forget. That uh, I have a competition for uh, the Rattler Mickey Burns book. Uh, it's signed as well. So um, if you're interested, why not enter that? You can listen to it. On, you can enter on the on the uh, by putting in on the uh, on the email. You can write uh, the Rattler and then just gives your name, address, and telephone number and send it to either uh, Friday Sport on Ross FM at. 
uh, outlook.com or else uh, jview on rasfm at um, outlook.com and of course you can also send it in uh, by text or by uh, by um WhatsApp message to 0838599748 and just put in the Rattler and then your name, address and phone number and you'll be entered into the draw which is going to be on the 11th of August. So, um, yeah, so there's plenty of interviews to come and uh, we'll start off uh, straight away with um, with uh, Kilbra- with uh, the looking back at the Senior Hurling Final from last weekend, myself and Andrew O'Shaughnessy looking back at the uh, Limerick versus Kilkenny game in Crow Park, the 2023 All-Ireland semi-final uh, or the All-Ireland final and that's coming up after this. Kilbride Community Centre Sports Hall, Social Hall, Community Bus and Community Shop Contact us on 09066 Hello everyone, how are you doing? You're very welcome to this week's uh, Hurling What's the Score with myself, Aidan Rafferty and the shows as always kindly sponsored by uh, Kilbride Community Centre and Village Shop and we'd like to thank them for their kind support and uh, yeah, this week, uh, this week myself and uh, former Limerick Senior Hurler Andrew O'Shaughnessy we're going to be looking back at the um, we're going to be looking back at this year's All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship Final that was held last Sunday and uh, yeah, what, what a great uh, what a great game it was Anyone that's never been happy this week or something, you know, it's fantastic. Unheard of times, never seen before for anyone in Limerick and sure for Honey, Cork and Kilkenny before, two four rows before us. But uh, no, it's a special, special occasion we're living in, you have to enjoy it. That's it, because I suppose, you know, that the whole thing of, uh, you know, the media and all that would have been going, oh, this is the four in a row and all this, that and the other. But I think they were just looking, uh, the, the team themselves and the management were just looking at this as another game that had to be that had to be won. And uh, the significance of the four in a row, they weren't worried about that. They just wanted, it was just about winning the game. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at the, the players that they have, you know, e- even without Declan Hannan and, uh, you know, Sean Finn and a couple of other players that were out injured, um, I suppose, yeah, you could say, right, look, you know, Kilkenny had the best, uh, had the best of the first half. But the, the, see, that's the key with this Kilkenny team. No matter how bad things are going wrong, if if things aren't aren't going well, they don't they don't panic. They just trust the pro, the, they just trust the process. And of course, you know, with a guy like like uh, John Kiley as well, it's about he makes the um, he, he makes the he can make substitutions at the same time at the same, at the right times. But it's it's also like when, when you compare the two benches as well. Maybe that 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 was the kind of the the winning for Limerick because. You know, I suppose they have more strength in them on the bench, maybe than uh, than, than Kilkenny had. But Kilkenny had some some good hurlers on the bench as well. Yeah, definitely. Like so, it's it's a, a whole panel effort, um, and you you really want an impact from the bench. And geez, Limerick certainly had that throughout the year. Their their panels all forwards come on, and defenders also want to make a massive impact. And Kilkenny, while they were doing it during the year, they just they didn't have a, their sub didn't have much of an impact. I know it's probably down to we'd be missing and starting from Walter Watch and they had to reject their team so that's Walter staff but that's a massive issue coming away then from you you're losing that and I suppose really I suppose Kilkenny went man for man and it seemed to work for them in, in the first half but I, I think uh, Kilkenny or um, Limerick from the puck outs they were more for you know Nicky Quaid as well you know the, being, being the keeper he is uh, you know it's all about fi- pucking the ball into the space down, down and kind of in Kilkenny's half but uh, you know I suppose they uh, they they bided their time, I suppose, Limerick, and then then they um they, they did what had to be done. But you know, they, they 
Kilkenny made made the hay while it, while it shone, but it just wasn't enough because it was like a carbon copy of the of the semi final against Galway. In that, you know, Galway had the best of the first half, uh, as did Kilkenny, uh, and then 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 Limerick. I suppose at half time they made some switches and changes and that, and that really that really came out that came to the fore then in the second half. Obviously, like we just said there a few sec- a few minutes ago, uh, due to the strength and depth of the of the bench. Yeah, so it's very similar to the Galway match. So Galway came out from the semi-finals and they threw everything at Limerick for the first 20, 30 minutes of the half. And similar to Kilkenny, did the exact same. And uh, both teams had success in that. But the thing with that is you need an incredible amount of fitness and you have to take every score that goes and you have to build up a lead. So you really need, for half-time with that breeze, you realise how much of a breeze there was there on this eruptor. There was a, quite a significant breeze and Limerick played into the breeze and to be three points down going in, that was a success, success in itself. Like, so that was really, I know Bernie Cummins said it, that was really a seven-point breeze. They should have had a seven-point advantage and they didn't. So you, you literally have to, similar when Kilkenny beat Limerick in 2019, they built up a lead and just held on to the lead. You need to build up a lead and they, they were just probably a goal short, goal or five points short of building up a substantial lead that they could actually hold on to and turn sides on, turn down when they turned around Anything to that lead very fast. And like looking at Kilkenny, they really have some serious hurdles there. I mean, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Lawler there in full back. He really, he was really one of the one of the standout players for Kilkenny. And uh, of course, you could say Walter Walsh and um, you know players like that. They they were, um, I suppose, Owen Cody as well. He had a great he had a great game in the semi final and he played very well. But uh, look, you know when you when you have the likes of. Uh, when you when you have the likes of um, Garrod Hegarty and all all that playing for you, you know for for Kilkenny, it's it's uh, it's always going to be a, a turnaround, isn't it? Yeah. So what Limerick did was uh, they kept like they just kept winning touching distance. So I was saying long before the match, I might have said it here even last week. Anyone that was listening, I said if Limerick are within five points after twenty five minutes, they will have a great chance of winning. It. So the trick is with this Limerick team or to beat this Limerick team is you have to build up a substantial lead early because yeah. their fitness and their skill and the belief they will come back in and they will have their proper patch and by God do they make their proper patch count so just Kilkenny just didn't build up enough of a lead I felt and of course the thing with the breeze in um, the, the wind in Crow Park it's kind of different to any other ground it's very it's very strange when you're whether you're playing with it or obviously when you're playing with it you have a huge advantage but uh, more so when you're playing against it uh, you, you know it, it is a more unusual wind compared to we say the likes of Parky Cueve or um, the Gaelic Park or you know any of those other pitches I suppose it's I suppose it's the, the way the way Crow Park is that's exactly it and the trick is when you're playing into the breeze is you literally have to carry it into contact and run it in and that suits limit game down to a tee like they they run it back but then you had again you were trying to run it back they just missed resistance from Limerick and Limerick had far, half back line dropped back deeper so you couldn't even when you run the ball a certain amount you couldn't hit a long thing because the half back line was still there they just they had to carry it an extra 10-15 yards which weren't there because they were being messed with a wall of resistance and ultimately that was what decided the match against and I suppose, really, for for Limerick, um, you, you know, what 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 do you think was the thing that meant that uh, Kilkenny? Well, I suppose Kilkenny just came out of the blo- straight out of the blocks and probably didn't give Kilkenny or uh, Limerick a chance. But uh, what does, from a Limerick point of view, what was the the key or the, the reasons for uh, that Kilkenny had such a good start? Well, sure, it's naturally like the team is going all out in the final. You want to put your best foot forward and hit as hard as possible. And again, when you're playing against the breeze, that's tough as it is naturally that was 
Limerick playing against Breeze and the Frosty Kilkenny so that's added to it as well so it's going to be harder so that, I think that's what a key marker Limerick set, would have set out is that we just go we'll take the match uh, Kilkenny we'll play against Breeze if we win the toss and we'll just limit to them and our objective for the for that half is to be within three points at half time and if that's if you, to achieve that that's going to be a big help to them for achieving success and ultimately approved proved the case so they went out they hurled extremely well against the breeze and they're only three points down so I, as I said and of course, you see the dangerous thing. Uh, maybe that's uh, you know the Kilkenny knew, but I, I think in the second half they weren't able to do anything about it. Was the spread of scores by by Limerick, but also you know we said it here last week and we said it on numerous occasions. Limerick have players that are capable of scoring from any positions. You know there was some some nearly going over from their own half back line. Of course, you know the uh, the, the freeze the freeze as well was were, were consistent throughout the game for for Limerick as well, and uh, as they were for Kilkenny. But it was just uh, something special. Uh, you know when you, when you have lads of that capability, obviously like I was saying, Garrod Hegarty uh, played well. Um, Kyle Hayes played well. You know mid- midfield was key. I think in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. So the spread of scores, Limerick has is just like Kilkenny obviously focused on Glenn and his daughter did a great job of him. Glenn still played okay. Like Glenn got two points from play and five in total, so he can contribute as well. But not to the the devastating effect as we have seen throughout the year. But he still contributed as well. So it's just <coughs> no one kind of watching Peter Casey and keeping an eye on him, and then he turns around and gets five points. And like as you said, they're one off small angles. So Peter Casey got two points in a row from both. 50 yards out on the Hogan stand and he was extended side on the sideline with a, a man on him. They're, they're superb scores and like so out of second half 21 shots to two wides or one wide I think that is unbelievable success rate of shooting it's come down to their belief and just their confidence and you get David that when, when things are going right and if it's achieved things are going right and no matter what you do they're going over there and that seems to be the case and like they didn't have one shot on Owen Murphy in the whole game. Yeah that's but it and I mean wait wait when you, I mean, when you, there's, it's very hard to deal with that when you, when you have players like that. And I mean, no, no team that's alone uh, a team as great as Kilkenny can can deal with that. There's no way of uh, stopping them. No, and you see a prime example of that was uh, <coughs> Puck out in the second half came down top of Gil, on top of Kyle Hayes. He caught it. He was fouled. He got the ball put down. Quick free was taken to Darren Burns, who was only ten yards away. Darren Buns was coming over to hit the free over the Baron, but the quick free to Darren Buns and he pulled over the bar from his own 45. So little things like that, like this, the speed of thought, the speed of play, it's just, it was just in a different level. And of course, like puck outs from uh, Nicky Quaid as well, that, that played a huge part in it, uh, you know, because his, his puck outs were bang on the money uh, on Sunday, weren't they? Yeah, I see people like, people, obviously when you look at the goalkeeper, you look at his shot stopping and see how good a goalkeeper shot stopping is, but they just you fail to realise the importance of puck outs. So the turning of the game was a limit they, they shut down home of his puck outs to a certain extent in the second half, so they were non effective. So any ball he was pucking out, it was a contest, contested ball, more or less than uh, a ball won for Kenny. So just creating a contest from a puck out, it, like, it comes down to goalkeeper, but equally comes down to players out the field. So you could have the best goalkeeper in the world, you could have Vicky Quaid or Murphy pucking out ball, but if there's no one outside creating space and running for it, you can't hit the ball. So if he's looking up and there's just static staring back at him that's no good for any goalkeeper so for a goalkeeper's puck out to be as good as Nicky Quaid 
he needs a team working for him and that's certainly what what you saw on Sunday that's it because and that, that was something that they always work on as well they have a set, set way of doing it but I suppose throughout the game when, when things if, if things change or things aren't going their way they have that capability I suppose tactically and personnel wise that, that, they, that they can change things as and when needed yeah of course like so he'd been on like the Colin O'Neill and I'm sure he was a fantastic contribution, contribution and change and join the game when you need so when Kilkenny on top in first half Richard Reid was playing superb at the back. He had a point toward off Nicky's buck out, intercepted went up and popped up, but he was excited side. That was a great score, but he was having a massive influence in the game. He was probably in line for man the match at that stage of the match, but then literally 10 minutes for about the 25th, 26th minute to switch David Reedy and Keane Lynch. So David Reedy went midfield, Keane Lynch went in centre forward, and then they just, that changed the game. Keane Lynch had a massive, massive positive influence in the game, so he popped over two points, pulled, it came from stage where Richard Reid was doing a lot of hurling. Mm. But then he came to the stage, he had to turn and actually follow Keane Lynch. And sure, once you're the centre back out of position defending, then you can just bypass that, that line and create space inside. That's exactly the change in the game, I felt. And of course, like when you compare last year to this year for Keane Lynch, I mean, last year he he was the one that was injured, and Declan Hannan was picking up the picking up the um, picking up the uh, Lee, Magu- Lee, uh, Lee McCarthy Cup, and this year it was a role reversal. But it was nice to see him. Obviously, you, you'd be feeling for Declan Hannan, obviously. Um, but uh, you, you know, this year this year he was ca- it was great to see Keane being captain and lifting the two of them lifting the cup together. That that was a nice moment as well. Yeah, sure. You know, fear of him, sure. Deck has done it four times already, so he's plenty of time lifted up. He's the most successful captain ever in GS history, so hopefully he might get another one or two more practices. Whether he gets back in the team now is another thing, but I'm sure he will once he gets fit. Uh, but it's nice because Keane Lynch is always people talking about him, his leadership qualities, and such a nice individual and such a gifted hurler. So it's good to see him walking up as captain and equally sad seeing Deckard coming up as the injured player, but equally it's good to see that he's, he's gone up there and rolls reverse. But the main thing is Lee McCarthy still. In green hands. That's it. Did you get your hands on it yourself uh, since? No. No, no. <laughs> no need to get hands. We, we know we have it tonight. Oh, well, this is it. You know, you have 12 months. You have 12 months to, to have a look at it. But uh, I suppose, yeah, it's it, it's great. Uh, it's great for them now. They've, they've done the, their four in a row and things like that. But uh, I suppose that takes us nicely on to. Uh, oh, no, just before we go off that, it was. Um, you know, a good a good choice for the man of the match, but I'd hate have been the one to uh, to kind of pick it because there there's so many even even on the Limerick or even on the Kilkenny side that could have gone man of the match. But uh, I suppose what what are your thoughts on the on uh, the Sunday game man of the match? Was a, it was a good choice, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I know it's like sure he's five points from play, so that's two other ends and second half he's got five five points from play, and sometimes you get lower scores and. It's great, like, but the team has won well. But all those scores that Peter Casey got were massive, massive scores. They were scored at the right moment in time. It's normally saying you say the same Tom Morrison when he gets his scores, he might score two, two or three points a game, but draw vital and inspiration scores at the time. And same Peter Casey's ones are just uh, he got the point at levels just after Kilkenny having a chance to score to go get the third goal. So ball went in. Feeling was very unlucky. Tom feeling very unlucky not to rise. The ball broke out. Richie Reid passed it into Keown who slipped. If he caught that, that was a goal, and that would have put, instead of being a one point game, that would have been a four point game. Then we went down, and Peter Gates got the point to equalise, and we didn't look back since then. So, like, he was torturous, he was totally deserving him. But uh, equally, it was another two or three on, on either side of the team that, that could have, and would have been rightly deserving man the match. But that, that's the way it goes. Normally, forwards get, get the product and they get a load of points, and especially in our other final, so you, you couldn't begrudge him. 
That's it. Uh, moving on to the Sunday game, uh, man of the, our um, team of the year. Um, we, we just compare that, and then we, we'll have our, our team of the year. But uh, I suppose you know, look, uh, when you look, Owen, Owen Murphy got the got the uh, goalkeeping spot. Now you, you could say Nicky Quaid, maybe even uh, maybe maybe even Ivor uh, Quilligan from Clare uh, would have had a shout there as well. But uh, you know, look, he had to go, like a lot of people would say, oh, he got it on the ba- on the basis of that that one save, you know, in the in the semi final. But I kind of disagree because he had a solid he had a solid uh, championship, and you know, he, he's been he's been very dependable this season. Yeah, so he had a very solid championship, and that was one outrageous save, like you probably never see again. But like it was fascinating, especially in the context. You can do a save like that in a match as you're up thirty points, and it doesn't matter, but. It was a two-point game at that moment in time. Ball came through a body of players that he couldn't see, and that was a superb save. Um, but then I was, I was in my team earlier on. What, what I pick, and I was again. Everclean had a good year, but it was literally between Nicky and Owen, and like he that superb save. But then when I was talking to you, we we're going through the pokos and we we're saying that the change in the match was Keen Lynch moving centre forward, they really going midfield, and equally Limerick shutting down Owen Murphy's pokos. It's rare that you hear people shutting down Nicky Quaid's fuck-outs. They're, they're so good and so influential. So, if I was picking it, in my view, I'd, without my, with my Limerick hat on, I'd probably go for Nicky based on that. Yeah, that's it. And uh, moving on to cornerback then, uh, Mikey Butler from Kilkenny. Yeah, again, like he was, he's your man, Macro. He's like, he's a fantastic year. So, it wasn't a fluke last year, but he's performed Tony Kelly because he repeated it again this year. He was absolutely superb. And what he's his game now that we hadn't seen was that his ability to get forward and take scores and same again you know, he's he's support and could you could you think of maybe any other ones that any other ones that would have been uh, in, in contention for that corner ba- cornerback space but I think you know looking at it though, he was he, he was kind of very consistent throughout the championship and that, I suppose that, that's what it's that's what it's that's why he was picked uh, that's why he was picked for the team of the year yeah well I'd probably have a different full back and I'd probably put Dan Marcy's cornerback or Hugh Lawler cornerback Dan Marcy fullback yeah just because I, I felt both Hugh Lawler and Dan Marcy were absolutely superb they had colossal seasons they were both the rocket defence any man Mac, Mac, Mac and Job I mean they were able for them to prosper so there's a tendency to move players out of their positions for Team, so it's not the case. I have either Ulaller or then cornerback and the other fullback. And I suppose, really, another one just to throw into just to throw in there as well would be they're kind of similar to, I suppose, we say Ronan Maher as well, in the sense that you know he can play in many different positions, he can play anywhere in the full well, more so in the full back line, full back, but he can also play in the half forward line or in the half back line as well. I think he can play, he can play midfield as well, the odd time as well. So, you know, he's they're kind of flexible in that situation, in that way, aren't they? Definitely, they offer so much to a team with that flexibility. So, you said it there, Dan Marcy and you Lawler, like they're, they're your fullback, but they can also be your halfback, centre back, yeah. same and Ronald Matter. And like to have that ability to, if you're stuck, if you're injured, you're missing down a player, and just to slot a fella back in seamlessly, that's invaluable to a team in both. Well, all three goals provide that, but more so in this year, you Lawler definitely did it, and Dan Marcy. Yeah, and that that's it. Was you know, and I suppose really when you when you look at the full back or half line, half back line, no matter where you put him, you had, you, you had to put in uh, Hugh Lawler somewhere, didn't you? Of course, yeah. No, he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He was in line for earlier, if kick anyone. Yeah, but uh, Dan Marcy did make it into it. He he got the other cornerback position deservedly. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's the full back line. And going on to wing back, then Jeremy Burns uh, justified justified as well. Yeah, 
Ah, absolutely no question. Like the again, he, his contribution from just Sunday alone, from his long range freeze and his point from play, and just his overall ability to catch a ball from opposition puck all just shuts down any possible attack for the opposition. And again, he was superb at Colossal. Although he was in a bit of trouble to the start, he, he was caused a few concerns at the start of Matthews when he was being ran at. So again, he he showed his ability to, and his self belief that he overcame that and just he powered into the game. Yeah. That's it, and there was no real other contender. Or what other players could you would you have no, said would have been? Was. Yeah, I, I would have thought that as well. Um, so centre back then was William O'Donoghue from Limerick. Yeah, so this is a matter of preference again. I was watching some of the game and to put him on a course. Like so, he's your he's your standout midfielder for the year. He'd be your midfield all star if he was. Uh, covering for Declan Hannon so he, he went in for two games arguably two biggest games in the season semi-final and final I felt that he never, never played centre-back on any count team before in his life replacing probably one of the best if not the most important player on, the, on this generation team of Limerick and Declan Hannon so that was an, a, a big moment and a big 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 crisis for Limerick to face filling Declan Hannon's boots and Willow doing it in no problem even though a lot of people don't think they never saw him hurt at the back, but again, he was colossal, absolutely colossal. And he got a himself and Jeremy Burns both had a card very early in the match that was set, set a lot of teams back and set a lot of players back, but not these guys. And especially not, well, I don't know, he was superb in semi final and more so again on, on Sunday. And uh, moving on to the other wing back position then, and Kyle Hayes, was that another obvious one, or could there have been other contenders for that for that wing back position? There's, there's always contenders, but again, like so, when Darren Burns was nailed on, there's no contest for his he's half back slot. Yeah, there's definitely going to be no contest for Kyle Hayes' slot. Isn't it? Like I was raving about how good Darren Burns was and Willem John who the job they did. I can't even start to talk about Kyle Hayes. He just the, the, what he offers to that team is is unheard of. I've never seen it before. Um, to have an opposition defence worried about your half the opposite, the other team's half back attacking you and getting goals. Yeah. That's what Kyle Hayes brings. Every time he gets he's such a powerful athlete and he's hurling so good and he's so like he has it all. Like so when he came out he's coming out in the second half, he got fouled, he get a free, he was on the ground, two kicks his hand lads around him, he dropped the ball and literally rolls it up in the same motion and hand at the back. Simple things like that. His hurling ability is is superb and a marvel to look at, but then again his athletic ability then just just trumps that as well. He's an absolute freak and so I'd hate to have him run at me. It's it's, it's so hard, but no, again he's Deserve it, definitely it. And of course, you know, he has great peripheral vision, as, as nearly uh, <laughs> all, all the uh, Kilkenny players seem to have as well. And moving on to the, the midfield, then, uh, the midfield was Darrow Donovan from Limerick and uh, David Fitzgerald of Clare. Not a bad midfield. No, again, Darrow Donovan is the under, most understated player. He just goes about his job, gets the ball, pops over a point here or there, and just delivers the ball into forward consistently and stops opposition getting any momentum through the middle third. Again, deserving of his position, and same with with, with Jordan McFeeder, like I saw. He, yeah, he David Fitzgerald, yeah, from Clare. Yeah, yeah, he played more half forward, but again, he, David Fitz, he's, again, he's like Kyle Hayes, and he gets the ball, he's not as strong, but he's athletic, and he goes, Jenny goes with you. So he, he had a great year as well, but uh, I feel it's better moving out to midfield to create space for Leslie up, up front. And now this is uh, moving on to the moving on to the half forward line now, and this was a sure a surely to God uh, nail position and uh, no contenders. Tom Morrissey, what a year he had, fully deserved, and I don't think there's anyone equal to him uh, for this team of the year. No, and like he's, I feel sorry for Tom to be honest, because if he had a slightly 
better contribution to the scoreboard on Sunday, he would be your nailed on hurler of the year. But he has, like, he was the go to fella for Limerick all year, misconsistency. And again, mm. during the Munster Championship, when they're struggling in the early first half of the semi final against Galway, when they're struggling, he was your go to guy. And, and he popped up and got those. Like, everyone can, anyone can give a score. But very rare that a fella can get a score when it's really, really needed under pressure. And that's what Tom did throughout the Munster Championship and indeed the semi final. So, totally deserved it. So, deserving of these days. Yeah, and the centre-half forward, now for me, to be fair, he might have been on the losing side uh, on, on Sunday, but when you look when you look back throughout the uh, the campaign, both the Leinster campaign and the All-Ireland, um, you know, fully deserved of the centre-half back, uh, the centre-half forward role and uh, position, and that was TJ Reid. Yeah, of course, he's like, again, he's he's like Messi. Yeah. He's getting older, but he's still just getting, as, he's just as influential, where he wasn't as influential on the scoring chart of Clay, his contribution creating freeze, getting freeze and linking up play was, was immense and again he's deserving of his best. And uh, wing half forward then wing wing half forward then was uh, Shane uh, wing, the other wing was uh, Shane was Shane O'Donnell from Clare. Now he he had a great season as well and he, he was he's capable of doing anything on the pitch. Yeah, no, he's he had a fantastic standout season. He's more deserving of his offer this year than he was the previous year I feel because he really contributed this year. Um he was their go-to fella. He would take when Tony Kelly wasn't in a game. The Shane Donald was literally carrying the can for Clare. No, he was absolutely superb as well. And very unfortunate semi-final to lose out after a performance like that. But that's sport. And uh, moving on to the cor- the the full forward uh, the full forward line. Um, in one corner there was Connor Whelan, Galway. Yeah, he he's really Galway's uh, con- most con- Mister Consistent, isn't he? Yeah. No. He again. He's. Every team has their marquee forward. Conor Whelan was your marquee forward for Galway, and the opposition's intent is to shut down the marquee forward. But everyone tried this year and they failed. Limerick, to a certain extent, got a, a grasp on after a while after he contributed three or four points in that game. But again, he had a superb season. He'd be disappointed that it didn't end in an Ireland win. But again, that that sport. But no, he can be, have a season while he'd be sad he missed out on the ultimate honour. He can have the season to be proud of, proud of from a personal level. And in the in full the other full for in full forward then is Aaron Galan. Look, I think I think that was uh, probably one of the first names on the sheet. I think uh, with re- with regards to full forwards, he hasn't he hasn't had like there are a lot of very talented forwards in in the county in the county scene. But uh, you know he he absolutely stands out, doesn't he? He does. And the thing with Aaron Galan is he's getting these scores and matches where he's normally the two man for forward and he gets three sort of. Everybody's going to be two lads on him, and he's just taking a lot of attention. And even on Sunday, they're saying he had a white match. As I'd argue, he got two points, and he created the space for Peter Casey to get five points. So he had a great year, and again, that's culminating in the win, and more than likely, an alter. That's it. And uh, finally, on the other corner, then is Owen Cody. Yeah, again, again, another standout. Like he's just electric. Even his first goal, when he got yeah. the ball, the minute he touched the ball, I go, "There's a goal on here." And I had a perfect angle in the Cusick stand where he cut across. And then there was two defenders, Dan Marcy and Barry Nash. And there was corner, corner of the goal with Nicky and Barry Nash. With no, Dan Marcy was covering in front of Nicky Hill View. And I said, there, bottom right, has to go bottom right. And that's exactly where he stuck it. No, it's, it's a fantastic goal. And he, he tried something similar later on in the first half. Maybe could have, everyone said, if he put up a point now, that would have put him three points up and just keep the scoreboard ticking. But the chance arose. 
he went for goal. He, he was very unoptimistic. And if he got that goal, then I would be raving about Jesus. That's a fantastic goal. But they're saying now that he should put over that. But I, I, I would have gone for it. And he, he was right to go for it. And he had a great year as well. That's it. Moving on to our own team of the year. And uh, I suppose maybe there, there was kind of, it was kind of contentious. Is, is there much difference between uh, the Sunday game team of the year and our, and our team of the year? Uh, not really, no. It's more, more or less similar. Vast majority of players, yeah. I think Keen Nish was very unlucky myself. He, he didn't play for a year. I guess he's back here. He wasn't fantastic. He'd come back from injury. Then he got back for semi finally. Had a good influence on that. And by God, did he explode on Sunday? He was the winning of that match for Limerick. Um, you'd say, should he be on, t- on getting all star based on one match? I I don't know. He based on one match, it was an all round final that he literally won for Limerick. So I'd say, yes. That's it. And uh, the goalkeeper, would you say, would you stick with Owen Murphy? Or do you, you were saying uh, there when we were talking about the uh, the Sunday yeah, game All Star team, it was Nicky. I, I, I got Nicky. I think Nicky offers whatever Owen Cody or Owen Murphy offers to Kikinia, and it's immense. I think the whole Limerick system and game works based on Nicky's puck out and how he picks out players and how he identifies them. And I, for that, like you, you cannot look beyond that. And of course, like he doesn't over hit them or under hit them, he hits them just right. And uh, moving perfect everything at Yeah, and uh, moving on to the full the full back line then, uh, or the full back line for our team of the year. Yeah, so I'm going for I'm going for Yule Haller, Dan Morrissey, and Barry Nash. My team are very unlucky to lose out, but I can't if I have to pick between three players together between Mikey Butler, Barry Nash, or Dan Marcy and you Lawler you Lawler Dan Marcy cannot miss out and equally Barry Nash he again if Nicky hums from the puck out and dictates the pace Barry Nash just creates a different level so in the semi-final he made a run from cornerback about 50 if not 60 yards at full sprint at the end of the game when everyone was dying out on their feet and he just offered 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 himself to the team just to get a ball or create space and like you, you can't teach that and uh no, I think that would be my full back in that. And uh, the the half four, the half back line. Yeah, I'm gonna be very biased now here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Darren Gordon is Kyle Hayes. Yeah. And then it's either will have done centre back or midfield, but he, he's going to be in the time going to go for. I'm going to go for all Limerick half back line. No problem, man. The, the midfield position, midfield positions, I should say. <laughs> yeah. So Dara. O'Donovan and Davey Fitz. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the same as uh, the Sunday game also. And uh, that moves us on to the half forward line. Tom Marcy nailed on. I'm going to put Keenan centre forward based on last Sunday. And then I have TJ half forward. That's it, and the, the full forward line. Yeah, so Delane. Yep. And on Cody, two corner forwards, and the full, yeah, Shane O'Donnell. Forward, yeah, Shane O'Donnell, yeah, and uh, of course, uh, you know, we we can't let uh, we can't let this go by. We have to kind of mention the ref as well. His first game and his first All Ireland, uh, you know, what what a great performance, a Wicklow man. He, he did. He, I thought he, he was very fair, wasn't he? He's first and last All Ireland, ridiculous rule. Yeah, he was excellent. No, he let the game flow, and he got in trouble last then for letting the final flow, but he actually. He, he let it flow and he blew freeze at war freeze a few instances that he missed out Limerick got a Kikini should have a 65 they didn't get a 65 they're minor things they're hard to spot and that's more so you're hoping your umpires 
give you assistance there, like the referee following the game from he could be ten yards, he could be sixty yards away and trying to spot a ball hitting someone's hurley and rolling out. That's the umpire's job, so I wouldn't order against that. And then even they really defend a foul at the end. Possibly a penalty, I don't know. The Kenny Lad was falling over at that moment. They really just had his hand in his back. You'd, you'd argue, like, would you, would you get a free out? If that yeah. happened out in the middle of the field, would you get a free for it? You wouldn't. So I don't. I, I, I think he was reckon. That's it. And, uh, you know, fair play to him. But I suppose he seemed to have learned, like you, you just mentioned there, last last year's um, last year's uh, final, Munster final, he seemed to have learned from those kind of mistakes that people would have felt he made in, in that game. He, he seemed to have learned learned from that because overall, overall he didn't have a bad, he didn't have a bad game uh, on, on Sunday. Yeah, because no, I don't think anyone said he made mistakes in those final last year. It was more so the referees committee they were going technically by it. And like, Grand as a rule book, I guess you have to adhere to the rule book, but you also have to buy into the spirit of the game and every game takes on their own dynamic and if you adhere to the rule book rigidly, you lose all the dynamic of a game, whether it win, lose or draw, whether it's a good game or a bad game. If you keep blowing for every single free, like you could blow for technically as many I think Limit got a, a point every ninety seconds in the second half. Yeah. You could equally blow the, the whistle every ninety seconds for a technically free. And if that's the case you're gonna have no flow of a game, so I get where they analyse referees and you miss this, you miss that, you could have done this, you could have done that. But then you don't have any flow and that's one thing Don Keenan had in the game. He just let it flow and he blew for really obvious reasons, didn't blow for the minor, more technical ones. And that's all you can hope for. I don't think any team would have a disagreement with how he left it. And I suppose just to finish off now, uh, I suppose that the uh, the young player of the year and the senior player of the year. Yeah, that's, t- that's tough. Like So you're looking at, my view is Ryan Taylor from Clare and Conal O'Neill. So Conal O'Neill started in the Championship and then he was more of a, a sub in the All-Ireland Series. But the fact that they went all the way, they won it and he came on on Sunday and he got two points and a lot of turnovers and one freeze. I, like, I have to give it a call on me. That's it. Well, listen, uh, thanks very much for uh, doing, covering the championship for us uh, this year. And I suppose uh, from now on, it's uh, it'll be looking ahead to uh, to the, the club championship now. Then, uh, and, uh, it's uh, something we'll, be, we'll both be looking forward to, uh, look, looking forward to matches and looking back at matches. Uh, it's, going, it's going to be a very interesting club championship. Yeah, we of course, yeah, and all the again, you go down to every county now, there's strong clubs and who's expected to win, and then the expected team might win or the will win, and then so you're looking at Walter, looking at Ballygunner, expected to come out there, but they might get caught like they're going for 10 or something. So you'll have, you'll have upsets and shocks, but just sure that's par for the course. That's it. So, folks, if you, to those listening to us there, yeah, that, that's what we have to look forward to for the next number of months. So, uh, listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do Hurling uh, Wants to Score. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Andrew Shocknessy, former Limerick senior hurler, talking about uh, looking back at last last weekend's All Ireland senior hurling final. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? You're very welcome to this week's League of Ireland chat with myself, Aidan Raftery, and of course, as always, from Atlone Community Radio, we have Robbie Mulvey. Hello, Robbie. How are you? Are you well? How's it going, Ed? Not too bad. No, not too bad. Good to have you on board again this week. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's been uh, plenty to talk. He will be coming to Bohemians on loan this year. The 19-year-old has completed a loan move to the Gypsies from Reading, where he trained regularly with the first team. He made one first-team appearance for the Royals, playing the full 90 minutes of a 2-1 FA Cup defeat to Kidderminster in January 2022. 
Devine was in the market for defensive reinforcements after Grant Horton, Jay Ben and Drew Baker's loan spells expired and Holtzman is expected to receive international clearance in time for tonight's league clash at home to UCD. Now, just, you know, real quick on this, and this kind of ties into another story that came up this week regarding the League of Ireland and loan signings and also, uh, you know, the, the idea of uh, teams being bought as feeder clubs. I mean, it's a good signing, but it does show the downside of signing too many loan players, as mentioned in the article there, they had Grant Horton, Jay Ben, Andrew Baker on loan for the whole season. Now that they've expired, they're, they've gone back to their peering clubs. That leaves three gaps or three holes to fill in the team, and they've had to bring in another 19-year-old team. It's funny because um, I was listening to, just earlier today, I was listening to uh, uh, Benny Purtle, who, is the, um, who was the assistant manager at Dundalk and was the manager there over the last couple of years when Stephen Kenny left and he was saying that he, um, you know, the, the league has has had to, uh, because of the, the fact that players who are now going from the League of Ireland to Division 1 and the championships because they're bypassing the likes of Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk, they've had to rely on bringing young players in from England and loaning in players to uh, fill the gaps and that's kind of becoming a bit of an issue for the League of Ireland. I do think it does show that, unfortunately, they are going to have to rely on loan signings over the next couple of years until maybe the, the league starts to fix some areas like, uh, you know, some of the areas that we've gone over over the last couple of weeks, you know, namely facilities, getting more attention on the League of Ireland, making the league uh, more attractive to players or more attractive to players that... Um, want to come in and maybe stay or even young players coming through that might decide okay I can stay here till I'm 20 or 21 we've already been down that road so we won't yeah. go over old ground but the fact is you know it, it is sort of seen at the moment it is sort of seen as the way to fill a gap in a team is to go outside the league and get t- players from we'll say the likes of Hull City the likes of Reading the likes of you know Burnley on loan or whatever um, it is sort of seen that way Unfortunately, at the moment, and, and this ties into another story that kind of uh, propped up this week, Paki Bonner has come out and pretty much said he was doing an interview with uh, um, the Celtic in-house TV programme that um, he would love to see uh, you know, Celtic buy a League of Ireland team and pretty much use it as a development B squad. Now, that's put a lot of League of Ireland members and League of Ireland players, managers, noses out of joint. You know, I don't think I think it's pretty disrespectful to look at the League of Ireland as a development league. I don't think any, uh, you know, any club would want to be seen that way. I know that Shelburne have obviously come under the Hull City umbrella over the last couple of weeks with uh, a Turkish media mogul buying up um, uh, Shelburne and pretty much. Uh, but he's had to come out and say, you know, in the recent. Yeah, press conference or news conference that he has about the about acquiring the club. He has said uh, explicitly that uh, you know that um, Shelburne won't be used as as just a feeder club or just a club where uh, it'll be used as a glorified Hull City B team. And I think any team that you know goes into the, this type of uh, arrangement, you know, if it's a case of you've got owners that are a multi-club uh, owner where they might have a bigger club for example um, you know if you look at the peak six uh, organization that took over 
Dundalk a few years ago, they had stocks in uh, Bournemouth over in England, they had stocks in a couple of Italian teams and, you know, obviously they potentially could have said, right, we're going to take the best young players at Dundalk, we're going to bring them to Bournemouth uh, and we're just going to give you a second rate uh, youngsters from the Premier League 2 side and, and bring them over and let them develop and that would have done, I reckon it would have done a lot of damage to Dundalk and of course, look, people can say, well, what's the difference between Celtic taking over a League of Ireland club and the difference between a, you know, Shelburne being taken over by uh, the owner of Hull City? The answer is, there is no difference but at the same time I think, you know, a lot of clubs, fans would feel disrespected and maybe would, would potentially stop going to matches if they felt that the team was a glorified B League or a glorified B team. Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to being in a club in their own right, more yeah. a feeder club than a yeah. Because I mean, look, if you or I were on in a club, or we say if you or I were managing a, a club, we'd want to be seen as you know an independent club in our own right rather than oh yeah, just a well not not so much like a, not so much in a, an Ajax fall where you. Where you you you, you uh, bring through players and you develop players and then sell them on. I don't mean them in that sense, but you, yeah. you, you know where I'm coming from on that one. Yeah, I do. I mean, look, there is positives. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be all negative here. I think there is positives to being involved with a, a bigger team. Like you've often seen clubs like Manchester United, Ajax, for example, have uh, a number of teams that they own or that they have purchased. They have teams in Greece, they have teams in South Africa. Uh, that they've purchased to, with the idea that, you know, that, that they, they gave autonomy to the club. It's not a case of, like, you have to play the IX way. We, you know, we're going to take mm. all your best players and give you nothing back. So, you know, I think if, if it's run right and if it's run with, uh, you know, with if the, 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 the larger team has respect towards the team that they've brought up, then it can work well. But, you know, I think it's the way that, Bonner has come in, and given that Pat Bonner is a senior member of the League of Ireland, uh, sorry, uh, um, sorry, the FAI board, and the League of Ireland are trying to, you know, show that they are putting more respect back into the league. They're treating it with more respect over the last number of years, as opposed to the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, where it was just purely neglected. Obviously, we all remember John Delaney's problem child quote, which, you know, has come back to haunt him over the last number of years. I think... You know, it, it, it doesn't look good from a, a FAI board member to be going out, uh, you know, after the last couple of months with the, you know, the facilities audit plan, which includes the League of Ireland, where they're trying to say, look, we're trying to put more resources back into the league. Uh, we're trying to re- get the, you know, we're trying to respect the league. We're trying to uh, get more coverage on the league. You know, we've already gone over this, this, this ground, so we won't go over it again. But... The point is, is that it doesn't look good for a senior FAI board member to be going out and saying that, you know, that we're, you know, we'll just take a, a team from the league and treat it like a glorified B league. And I think that's that's basically what's really put a lot of people's nose out of joint. That's it. I suppose really, um, <clears throat> you know, like yourself as a 
as an Athlone Town fan, you, you know, you know, you, you'd probably have that 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 same feeling as well. You, you you're proud of you're proud of the club and the, this and the other, and you wouldn't, you know, like the the club and the coaches in the club go to so so um you know they they work hard to develop these players, and next thing, next thing they're being drafted over to another <laughs> another club as a you know. So I mean, so in that case, like Athlone Town would be getting the benefit of their uh, their hard work, as in that player. The players that are developing, going, get, get making it into the first team, and uh, you know, benefiting the first team. They're, it's nearly like they're bypassing the first team and going straight into into another club, and th- those players could end up playing again. From a sports point of view, it's it's not it's not fair, you know. I'm I'm actually surprised the Packy Bonner to make a, uh, something yeah. like that. But I suppose going back to um, the thing about you know too many um, too many loan deals for for players. I suppose you know, is the way. Just to get your thoughts on this. You know, if if, if that. You we say like if you're if you're a, a certain level in the League of Ireland, right? And we say some player, another team wants to buy one or two of your players or three of your players or whatever. You have to fill that in. You have to fill those gaps. But you mightn't have the you mightn't have the, the club mightn't have the mightn't have the finance to actually buy players to to replace those players. Yeah. So the only alternative is to loan them, or it's either that or bring players through from the from the academy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, just. There are a couple of things about that. I mean, that kind of ties in with the other story we're going to be talking about in a minute. But, you know, I think the fact the fact is, like, yeah, you do have a point. I mean, that is part of the mm. benefits, one of the benefits of, you know, joining up with a uh, with a bigger or larger club in that they can, they can give you those uh, players to bring in and, you know, obviously get first-team experience. They are going to be of a decent quality, especially if... You're being bought by a Premier League club because a lot of you know we there's a you know you look at um for example Manchester United's under 21s were in action there the other day against um, against Wrexham in America and they pretty much put out their under 21s and getting that kind of experience is kind of invaluable to a young player. I'm a big believer that young players can only grow and get better if they're playing first team football. If you're playing under 21s football. Mm you kind of it, 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 you sort of stagnate and if you're not playing against players that are older and more wiser and more physical than you then you're really not going to learn a whole lot so there are benefits to it I mean I, you know I talked about the whole city situation with Shelburne mm. and obviously I talked about the negatives but the positives are that they could potentially invest in uh, Shelburne in their facilities they could they, I know part of the deal there was to help uh, Shelburne redeveloped Talking Park, which is one of the reasons why they brought him on board in the first place. Um, so again, there are benefits to it. There, there is that. However, you know, I mean, the other me- option you mentioned w- w- is to bring through young players. Now, like, while I'm a big fan and, and a big advocate of bringing through young players, you know, it's not a case of just taking your best seven or eight young players and putting them in and expecting them to be competitive. I think the only two managers that's ever managed to do that in the history of football were funnily enough there were two Manchester United managers the first was Matt Busby in the 50s and the second was Alex Ferguson in the mid 90s when he brought in the class of 92 and those are very very rare exceptions although maybe you could have included Lou Van Hall when he had nine uh, academy graduates in the 
uh, Barcelona side that won the uh, European Cup in 2009. I think that's possibly the closest since the Busby days that people have gotten to in terms of putting in a putting out an all uh, academy graduate side. But the point is, is that you know it's very rarely are you able to do that. You mm. do need experience in the side, and maybe that's the reason why clubs are now starting to look outside of Ireland that, that they do need more experience and possibly, you know, the option is A, you can get experienced League of Ireland players, B, you could potentially, one area that they could potentially look at that maybe they don't look at enough is the free agent market, mm. which is, you know, if anybody's ever played FIFA anytime, you can get players on a, on, on, on a free agents, which is players who are not, uh, not contracted to uh, another club possibly that's another route to go down or as you said you can bring through young players and you know possibly even bring in players from uh, the underage ranks from England I think that again goes back to uh, that circles around to what we were talking about yeah. the, um, the, the Peter Club situation so there are a number of options none of them are particularly uh, appealing but you know, at the end of the day, it's up to the club to maybe make the call on which is, is the best one. And of course, it also depends on, you know, like I was saying, the players coming through in your academy. Uh, you know, you might have six or seven, um, you know, very good players, but are they in the positions where that are vacant in your first team? And, um, yeah, you know what I mean? And can they play the way you want them to play? Like, I mean, they might be, um, they might be very talented, but can they play in the system you want to play? Yeah, well, you know what, we may as well talk about the uh, the second uh, story because that kind of plays into into that. So Stephen Bradley is, is looking forward to going head-to-head once again with the renowned Hungarian side Fernavaros in uh, this week's Europa Conference League encounter in Budapest. The two sides met in last year's Europa League with Fernavaros progressing thanks to a 4-1 aggregate victory while Rovers ended up making it through through the group stages at the Conference League. The part of ours proved too much for the hoops at the home game of, of that game, of the home leg of that game, 12 months ago. However, Bradley side took the game to them in the return leg at uh, Stadium, and while they could not overturn the 4-0 first leg out, outfit uh, result, they did manage to beat the Hungarian side in the second leg. The Budapest outfit went on to record wins over uh, Trabzonspor, uh, Monaco, and Red Star Belgrade, and their group uh, in their group. Uh, before being eliminated by Bayer Leverkusen. The two teams are looking to bounce back from the recent Champions League exit, and while the League of Ireland champions were disappointed to lose home and away to Icelandic side Breda Blick uh, uh, in that competition, the manager said that there is no sense of anti-climax following the relegation of sorts to the low-stage competition. Now, you know, going back to, I know people probably think at this stage that I'm uh, obsessed with talking about underage development and underage players, but there have been calls by the media this week um, for Stephen Bradley to freshen up the team by promoting some younger players into the first team. Now, I do emphasise the word some. Um, there, there have been a few um, pundits, would say, on off the ball or uh, one or two others. Uh, the, the RC Soccer podcast, I believe, talked about it as well, and they were saying that, you know, if you looked at the team going into the, the match, the average age of the side was 28, 29, or 30. Mm-hmm. Um, there seemed to be a lack of energy in the team. There seemed to be a lack of pace. And there seemed to be a lack of um, a lack of ideas within the team. Both of those uh, 
uh, from both of those games against uh, Brighton Bleeding. Um, or Brighton Blick, Br- sorry, Brighton Blick. I'm not saying the word wrong. Uh, that's the Icelandic side. Uh, you know, Summer, you know, Summer Grovers were obviously poor in, in, in that game. And when you consider that uh, Brighton Blick are, are, are ranked 63 places, uh, or Summer Grovers are, are ranked 63 places above them in the UEFA club rankings, and the fact that Brighton Blick are a part time outfit, I think it was a pretty poor showing for. Uh, uh, for showing for uh, Summer Grovers in the, in those two games. Now, again, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the, with, uh, with all these calls for you know the the Summer Grovers to put in young players, I do, you know, funnily enough, I do think that would be a massive mistake. Um, what I'm all about giving young players a chance. I do believe that you know experience, especially at European level is very very important and you need that experience when you're going up against uh, these teams these teams even though you're looking at a team that like a Fred Flick that, that are uh, that are 63 places below uh, below Shamrock Rovers and are part time they have had a lot of experience in the, in the European game they've had a, I think they were in the Europa League a couple of years ago as well um, you know obviously they've had experience you know, they, they look like a really formidable outfit uh, against Shamrock Rovers. Um, I, I think that you know, while the team does need to be freshened up, and I reckon you're going to see. We were just talking earlier there about bringing in loan players and bringing in players from, uh, we'll say, the English clubs under 21 side or the Premier Two League under 21 side. That's possibly uh, an area that, or a place that uh, Stephen Bradley's going to go to in terms of. You know, trying to freshen up the team um, in, in the transfer window. Don't be surprised if maybe he, he looks at some Scottish League players or he looks at uh, some under-21 players similar to what? Uh, uh, similar to uh, uh, what um, Bohemians were doing there by bringing in Louis Holtzman, the, uh, the young chap we were talking about earlier. Um, earlier. I think um, what I would like to do is, or what I'd like to see them do is I think there's no harm. I think it's a really good thing that they do have a lot of experience in the team. But what I think they could do is, and again, going back to what Vinnie Purfle said earlier today on Off the Ball, I think he's absolutely right. Um, you know, when you're chasing a, a championship, so when you're trying to win the league, you're not going to have the time to throw in a, a couple of uh, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And I think he's, he's got a really good point there. But what I think you could do is, you know, you could maybe have a, a situation where you pick one or two players at the start of the year from your underage program. Let's we'll say, for example, the under-19s, they could pick their two best players, have them in and around the squad, and maybe rotate them in uh, every couple of weeks for a league game. And you don't have to overload a team with young players. What you could do is you could um, inject two players into the squad have them there for a year and then the next year pick two more players to bring in and what you're doing there is first of all it gives the two young players the, uh, for the first year the opportunity to learn the culture uh, learn how you know how to, to learn from the senior players learn how to be professional um, you know learn how to act as a professional footballer what the standards are what the uh, what the standards of the club are what the culture of the club are so by the time that next year, when the other two players, the next two uh, batch of young players come in, 
the, the first bunch will be able to show the second two the ropes. They'll be able to say, okay, we've been here for a year. This is how it works. This is what, what's expected. These are the standards that are expected. If you drop below these standards, you go right back to the under-19s. Um, so, so what you have is a, a boot room um, system of how you bring through young players. They get to know... Uh, they get to know the players, they get to know the senior players, they get to learn off the senior players, but they also learn what the standards are for the club and what's expected. Um, so you, I think you can do it, you can bring players through without actually sacrificing you know, the, the first team. It doesn't have to turn into an under-21 squad. You yeah. can actually bring through one or two young players a year, but if, you're, if you do it in such a way that they're, um, they're sort of put into the uh, first team environment and given a year to learn the, the, the system uh, then yeah, cause the next year they can go out on loan you can bring them back in you, you can learn to trust them in that environment yeah. and I think that's possibly something that Shamrock Rovers should look into you know again experience is important it's important not just for the senior team but for the younger guys coming in so it's a balance act and I think you know, again, while Stephen Kenny possibly can and should look at bringing in more experience from, we'll say, Scotland, England, or even further afield, possibly something that they, a lot of clubs should be looking at is bringing players in from further afield. Funnily enough, the way uh, Athlone Town have over the last couple of a year or two, uh, if you look at their senior team, it's actually more. Uh, there's actually more players from the likes of uh, America, uh, Holland. Uh, um, places like that than there are uh, Irish players mm. there's nothing wrong with that and that's I'm, I'm absolutely totally on board with that but uh, you know there is the opportunity to, to if you it can be a balance act if you bring in maybe one or two young players a year and uh, develop a sort of a brute room system that way that's because you know like the, the thing about bringing in players and uh, you know doing it the way you were saying is in the first team you know throughout the season and by the end of the season a lot Hello everyone, how you doing? And you're very welcome to this week's uh, la- The Last Word on Formula 1 with myself, Aidan Raftery and of course, we joining us as always we have the number one voice in Formula 1 that is the Michael O'Grady from the from the Costa del Mexico <laughs> And it's beautiful down here I don't know what the weather is like up with you at the moment uh, Currently it's 42 degrees and there is a wild herd of gazelles currently prancing past the window you have a great imagination there. No, no, no. It's just what it's like in Wexford. <laughs> also, instead of seeing, seeing sheep ju- jumping over the uh, fence, you see gazelles. That's fair enough. Oh, yes, we get the odd gazelle. Yes, the odd gazelle. Or, Probably you know, old gazelle, be- but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, wildebeest or, or other things like that, you know. That's what we call the locals. Uh, <laughs> and the local zoo. So, uh, yeah, so we're talking... This week we're looking back on the Hungarian Grand Prix and looking ahead yeah. to the Belgian Grand Prix. We are. It's back-to-back feeling this week. And uh, for those of us, hopefully everybody, uh, who did watch the Belgian Grand Prix, it was an interesting situation, I have to admit. First of all, because of qualifying. Qualifying was a little bit bonkers and a little bit all over the place, which actually led to none no other than Lewis Hamilton getting pole position. Now, that's something you haven't heard of in quite some time at this stage. And he actually beat 
Max Verstappen to the punch on the day. Now, as you can understand, Lewis Hamilton was over the moon about that. But what was even more interesting as we went on, even the fact, you know, Lewis being number one, pole position, absolutely great news, fantastic for Mercedes. Max Verstappen second, there's no great surprise there. But Lando Norris in the McLaren is back to third. This actually hits on something else that I'll talk about by the, by the time we finish the Hungarian Grand Prix. But then you had, you know, Oscar Piastri in the other McLaren in Ford. And then you had Joe Granu in an Alfa Romeo in fifth. I mean, where just... did yourself and Paul Egan finish in the, in the qualifying for the for... Oh, we, we, we can neither uh, confirm nor deny uh, our positions in. <laughs> well, not, not at liberty to discuss that, yes. Oh, no, not, not at liberty to discuss. <laughs> but you know what it is? It was a funny old qualifying I should so, Alfa Romeo, who have literally been nowhere um, for the, since the start of the season, suddenly to find a car in fifth, the car in seventh. So, it was an interesting qualifying session, to say the least. Um, Hamilton looked very racy on the day, I have to admit. It really did. And that Mercedes was flying around the track. Not as lucky for Russell, unfortunately, who started his day on 18th. Now, if we move on to the more important situation, um, which is the race itself, the race was, how will I put it? It, it was typical Hungarian Grand Prix. Barrett was in three crucial areas or three crucial sections of the race that were very important. Um, it lessened as it went on, but I, I think the one that struck everybody was lap one because, you know, we, we had our formation lap, everything was good, we knew where everybody was, and then off we went. And immediately by turn one, Max Verstappen's on the inside of Lewis Hamilton. Okay, that's no surprise, really, I suppose, to a certain extent, how good that Red Bull is. But he's not only on top of him, he pushes him very wide around the corner. And this also allows Oscar Piastri in the McLaren to also get by Lewis Hamilton in the first corner. But that wasn't the end of it because turn two, suddenly Lando Norris came out of nowhere in the second McLaren and also went by Hamilton in which I would have said was an overtake of the day. It was actually that good uh, the way it went by. So it, it was a very interesting situation. You know, you, you had this qualifying session, which was maybe not perfect, and it was almost writing itself in the race uh, almost instantly, you, you could say. You know, as it was dropping back, it was, it was really unusual. And the other one that I think everybody noticed immediately was Joe Granieu, who, you know, did such a great job in qualifying and suddenly loses 10 places in the first two corners. Uh, what actually happened was he got stuck with the anti-stall, and then he didn't manage to get the anti-stall. He didn't manage to get the system on right, and, and, and basically every man and his next-door neighbour went on by. The guy with the Morris Minor even flew by at that stage. You know, so it was... Yeah, I think the Morris Miners went that fast. Well, you'd be surprised. Uh, you'd be very surprised. If it, gets, if it has a good win, if it has a good win behind it, I suppose. Well, that's very, that's very true. You know, and that, if that wasn't enough of an opening lap or an opening two or three corners, poor old Danny Ricardo, who is back in racing again with AlphaTauri, um, which probably is a car that's not really good enough for his 
uh, I suppose his his uh, what would you call it and his experience and his ability. Um, suddenly he gets blamed for running into the back of an Alpine. It wasn't Esteban Ocon, funny enough, um, but or was it got worse than that because not only did one Alpine go, but the second Alpine also went out at the end of the first lap. Now. I, I think everybody had to stop and take a look at this. Even even the guys commentating, kind of, what is Danny Ricardo thinking of? You know, is he he's just backing already? It's absolute mayhem. But when you actually stopped and watched the replay, it actually wasn't Danny at all. Um, it was Joe Granu who was trying to get back his ten places because what had happened is he got caught with the anti stall. Then the car had taken off like eventually. Uh, like a bat out of hell, as these cars do, and um, he got caught in the braking zone, which made him tip Danny Ricardo, who then tipped the two Alpines in front of him. And luckily for Danny, he got out of it. Luckily for Joe, uh, he got out of it, albeit not where he started the race on. But unfortunately, one lap, and you had two Alpines off the track and out of the race. A very bad day for Alpine, and a very crazy first lap you'd have to say a very crazy two turns because everything happened on the first and second corner now you, you normally you know it's like every race you, you'd normally get something happening on the first corner but you know for a, a seven time world champion to be passed by three cars on or two cars the first corner one car in the second corner and in a guy who qualified exceptionally well in Alfa Romeo to lose 10 places and then cause an accident that puts two cars off the road yeah, you'd have to say that was a that was an entertaining start to any Grand Prix. You would have to say that's the most of, entertaining one so far this season. Absolutely, it was just absolutely incredible. It, it settled down straight after that, but you know, I think as most people at that stage, we were kind of all sitting there going, "What? <laughs> what is just, that just happened? Yeah, Can yeah. we see that again, please?" You know, <laughs> and it was replay after replay. I don't, I don't even think the commentators could could actually believe exactly what has happened uh, at that stage, you know. And that was kind of the big one of the day. There was two other situations, as I say, but that was the big one of the day. And I, I think it attracted a lot of people's attentions, you know, what what had just gone on. A, a lot of people weren't quite sure what was going on. And it was something that kind of I spotted as well, uh, which I'll come back to in a couple of seconds, because it, it, it's something peculiar about the cars this year. Um, we had before the sort of, I suppose, before the next big one, we had the usual stuff of, you know, signs catching up with uh, Leclerc and Ferrari not allowing the two of them to swap places, even though they were on totally different races. Actually, Carlos Sainz is the only person on the track who started on the soft tyres because he had an abysmal qualifying and decided this is a good way to get ahead. And, you know, you think it'd be, it, it, it will be quite easy enough for Ferrari to say, right, lads, you're on different strategies here. Pass it around. They didn't. But the first thing I did notice on sort of the first third of this race was tyre management. That was a big one because you had Max Verstappen and you had two McLarens. And Max wasn't exactly, how should I put it, leaving the McLarens for dead. Um, uh, Even though sort of, you know, McLaren have improved a lot in the last couple of races, you'd have to say. It still hadn't approved enough to be sort of shadowing Max Verstappen, shall we say. But the second the second big one on the day was 
Lewis Hamilton. He decided on lap 17. Uh, I thought it was a bit odd, but they called him in because um, the tyres weren't actually that bad. But it seemed they had scheduled to stop on lap 17. I'd have left them out for another couple of laps personally, but, you know, seemed a bit early. But, you know, immediately that triggers everybody else to jump in and go, right, what's going on here? Someone's pitted. So, you know, Hamilton is behind... Um, uh, not Landon Norris, but the other McLaren of Piastri. He's behind him, so that immediately makes him jump in. Or sorry, no, I tell a lie. It was Landon Norris, mainly because that changes very quickly. Uh, but Landon Norris decided, well, I'm jumping in then to cover off Hamilton, which yeah. was a good, good thing. But then, of course, they're going to call in their second driver, who is ahead of Piastri, to cover off. Um, Norris and Hamilton and then eventually get Max Verstappen to cover off all of that it, it sounds like a very boring sort of situation but what was peculiar about it is is, is Lewis jumped in for his tyres the very next lap Lando Norris jumped in for his tyres and came back out and all I can say is the man Jeff that he was on twice speed that everybody else was and then when Piastri came in suddenly Lando Norris had jumped him but what was really interesting about it was it wasn't just sort of what had happened on the track. It was Lewis kind of alluded everybody to it because he kind of stopped and went, hang on a minute, you know, to the team. I was kind of right behind Landon Norris. He was two seconds behind him before the pits. And now I'm nine seconds behind him. What has happened here? Um, it's it's a very weird situation, and again, I'll touch on that towards the end of the 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 end of this uh, bit of as to say because it was it was a very unusual situation, and I think a lot of people were scratching their head over exactly what was going on there. Um, we did notice another couple of disasters along the way with Ferrari and people like that, but but what I suppose was was the next section of the race that was really interesting was the closing part of the race. Because, how will I put it, everything just seemed to come alive for a lot of people. Um, suddenly, you know, Lewis Hamilton, who got pole position, suddenly lost a ton of places at the start. Then he pitted and came out and, you know, everyone's scratching heads. What's going on here? And, and suddenly his car came alive again in the closing stages of the race. And he was absolutely bit between the teeth, closing on Max Verstappen sort of speeds around the track. It was really, really, really an unusual situation. And, and what I kind of noticed was, and kind of hitting on it, I suppose, was there's a bit of a, a loss this year as to what's going on with the cars. Because, you know... They're, they're, they're in a slight improvement on last year. But, you know, that said, last year was very consistent. You know, you know, Max Verstappen had the fastest car. That was grand. Charles Leclerc had a, a fast car. We knew where he was going to end up and everything with that, like that. But this year, there seems to be a sort of a, a situation where even the team seemed to be confused by performance of cars. Um, because, you know, we, we had just using Lewis as an example, we had the startling situation of Lewis in qualifying. Then we had sort of the first third of the race where Lewis was fighting to keep up where he was after losing a couple of places. Then we had the second third where Lewis was kind of at a loss as to what was going on. And then we kind of had the last third of the race where Lewis was taken off like a 
bat out of hell and you know suddenly the car was fast again and mm. you know David Coulthard everybody seemed to be scratching their head about that and, and it, it kind of got me thinking about other things I suppose because like at the moment you're looking at the fact that Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin who showed a lot of promise in the air suddenly the last three races have been nowhere um, they've been 7th and 8th and ninth, and you know then you're looking at McLaren who first part of the year were nowhere and suddenly three races in a row they're, they're, they're kind of on the podium it's kind of a strange situation I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that it's almost as if you know Ed Rafferty has decided to change things up or something like that uh, as the day goes on <laughs> well, maybe you know it needs it needs refreshing a bit. Yes, yeah, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody can can maybe maybe, know, put, maybe add a spoiler to your um to your your Formula One wheelie bin. Yeah, but maybe maybe somebody could email us in if they know more. Than <laughs> I uh, but I haven't a clue what's going on with the cars. It seems it seems a bit of a crazy situation, and I think more so than anything else. Hungary kind of highlighted that. You know, it's kind of, how can a car be fast? Then okay, then very slow and then fast again. Now, mm. I, I'm not saying, you know... You couldn't say it's really... You couldn't blame it. You couldn't put it down to the layout of the, the track as such either. Like, but... Oh, really? Yeah. And mm. I mean, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, the Mercedes run very well with low fuel because George Russell just happened to be going like a bat out of hell as well. Mm. not really explain the situation either because... It was so much faster in the last third than any of the other two. It's just unbelievable, you know, for it to go from reasonable speed to slow speed to ultra-fast speed. It just seemed incredible to me. There's there's something I'm scratching my head. (laughs) I can't get get my head around it at all, you know, really, as to what exactly what was going on there. The race ended with Lewis Hamilton in fourth place. He did a very good job to get to keep Ford, to be honest with you, because he had been knocked back. He did a very good job to that. Verstappen with Norris and Perez behind him, and then Piastri, who did a very good job in the second McLaren, I have to admit, to come in in Ford. But it's it's kind of a very head-scratching sort of situation as to exactly what was going on there. Um You know, you had that kind of sit-up situation in the, in, in the first couple of laps, well, in the first lap. Um, it was just absolutely crazy. And then after that, yeah, I think there was a lot of confusion. I was even listening to David Coulthard. I listened to it on Channel 4. And I even found, you know, David Coulthard was kind of in the situation where it was kind of, what exactly is happening in here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, uh, as regards to where where the finish then, um, I suppose the top four then, or the... Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had the top four, Max Verstappen won. Um, yeah, I don't think that was a major surprise. And then, of course, you had the McLaren of um, sort of Lando Norris in second place. Mm. Uh, again, it's one of those scratchy head ones because all of a sudden, out of absolutely nowhere, the last three races, McLaren are absolutely flying. Um, where they've got that speed from, I have no idea. You had Sergio Perez, the very good recovery in the third place, I have to admit. He did a very good job on the day. A uh, very, very good job. There, w- there was actually a quote earlier on. I remember he was closing on Norris, and the team was trying to tell Norris exactly how far Perez was behind him. And I'm just actually looking for the quote. I, 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 I'll find it as they go on. But um, basically, 
you know, yeah, I have it here now. And Norris just cuts him off and says, I know I'm pushing, mate. It was, yeah. it was a very stressful place for him to stay there. And then you had Oscar Piastri. You know, a lot of people were worried about him coming into Formula One in the fact that they got rid of Danny Ricardo, who was a very seasoned driver, a very consistent driver, just had a bit of bad luck and got in this new guy. But, I mean, you know, he finished ahead of Lewis Hamilton, you know, in four players. You have to hand it to him something, you know, or just behind him, I should say. Lewis um, Piastri finished in fifth. You have to hand it to him. That wasn't bad with George Russell in sixth. Leclerc and Sainz in seven and eight. I, I, just, I still have no idea what Ferrari are doing. Um, Alonso in ninth, which is totally uncharacteristic. Uh, and Lance Stroll in tenth, which is, yeah, it, it's Very a bad, well. yeah. bad situation. For so, um, so we, we move on now to uh, yeah, we're, we move on now to the uh, the next Grand Prix, which is the Belgian Grand Prix. And just to give people a bit of background of uh, the standings, the top ten as the stand at the moment in the in the championship is in first. Uh, obviously, Max Verstappen on two hundred and eighty one points. Now, here's the one for you, no. uh, folks: is uh, Sergio Perez in second. But he's quite mm-hmm. a distant second on 171 points. So that's a huge... Yeah. Uh, um, I know there's still a large amount of the season to go, but uh, in third end, Fernando Alonso yeah. from Aston Martin on 139 points. Uh, Lewis Hampton in fourth, uh, the position he, he finished in in the, the last Grand Prix on 133 points. Yeah, George Russell uh, for Mercedes, 90 points. Carlos Sainz in sixth on 87 um, Charles Leclerc uh, on 80 points for uh, Ferrari McLaren then there's Land- Landon Norris in 8th on 60 points uh, on 45 points then in ninth is Lance Stroll from Aston Martin and uh, finally in 10th on 31 points then is Esteban Ocon now that's a, that, that's a huge distance there between 1st uh, and 2nd it is I, I think the key here the key things to look at here is of course Hamilton's catching Alonso because Mercedes doing better and Aston Martin have been very lacklustre. Also, I wouldn't mind pointing out, you know, you have sort of Lando Norris on in, in 60 points in eighth place. Mm. That has jumped significantly in the last three races because he he literally has come out of nowhere, whereas Ferrari are kind of, yeah, boring. Uh, we're not really getting anywhere. And I do like the fact that George Russell now is headed up into fifth place because, to be honest with you, with the last race, George Russell landed on Aris, my two men of the day. George Russell went from eight, you know, Hamilton went from first and got fourth. George Russell went from 18th and got sixth. Two places behind his teammate who started in first place. You have to hand it to him. He did a great job. And I have to be Lando Norris too. I mean, he just did a significantly brilliant job under massive pressure to get to where he was going. But moving on to Belgium, of course, you know, it's another sprint shootout. One qualifying is on the 28th, sprint shootout and sprint is on the 29th. And the race is on the 30th. Now, just as a clarification, let's not forget it's a different system this year because qualifying on a 28th is the position for the race on the 30th. Sprint mm. shootout on the 29th is the position for sprint shootout or for the sprint race on the 29th. It has no bearing as to the positions in the race on the next day. That one got me, so I thought it might get everybody else too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I suppose really, uh, you know, to kick off the Belgian Grand Prix, 
uh, just to obviously, like we always like to focus on the actual map of the track. And do you know what it looks like? It looks like the shape of a piston. Uh, you know, with a lot of bends in it. There's a lot of very strange bends there, especially there uh, in 18 and 19 there, you know, the, those two, oh, yeah. like an S-bend there. Uh, I suppose at the tip then, you have the, the first bend, you know, there at the, the, the bottom. And uh, yeah, it's it's not it's it's a very bendy and twisty and windy. I suppose um, you know, like like we always say every week, this is one of those where the um, you know tire selection and I suppose weather conditions can can play a huge factor uh, both Ooh. in the race itself, but also I suppose in the in the qualifying times as well. In, in the funny one, really, I suppose a race like this is going to suit Fernando Alonso if Aston Martin can get that car back. Um, this would, this is a really, this is a track that would suit him down to the ground. I have to admit. Mm. And, and the funny thing about this track is, I, I wouldn't expect rain to really disturb the kind of status quo like it did in Hungary. Um, even though there was no rain in Hungary, status quo was all over the place, um, rocking all over the world, as they say. Whereas with this one, the race is such with so many bad corners, it's not the quickest race on the planet. So rain would slow them down a bit, but I, I wouldn't see a massive change because, yeah, sector three is very quick, but and sector one is very quick, but. There's an awful lot of tight corners in there. It, that's it, that's it what I'm saying, yeah. And like uh, the, the old safety car might come out, might come to the fore. But I suppose, you know, w- would you be in agreement that yes, maybe tire selection could be important based on the on the layout uh, on the map the map of the uh, of the track and maybe even pit stops as well. Like it, it, it yeah. could be because of that. I, I think maybe be looking at it, it could be a very strategic uh, race. It could be a very strategic race. Now, I know there's 44 laps on this, and perhaps two pit stops would be the best sort of situation for this. But it really depends. I mean, the problem is, you you know, you have a high-speed sector three, you have a partial high-speed sector one, and then a sector two that's kind of a bit all over the place. And even though sector one and sector three are high-speed, there's some very tight corners on it. Really, I think tire management is going to be a big one in this. Mm. Getting your tires to last till the end. If you could start this on hard tires and be competitive on hard tires, that's the big issue. If you can be as quick as medium tires on the hard tires here, you could be doing yourself massive favors with this because it's just, it's those, they're, they're going to put so much heat and friction into those tires on some of these tracks. It really is going to be. Very, very important to just keep everything okay, including the brakes. Brakes will get very hot on this particular track too. So, I, and I of course, I suppose it. with the reports. Um, sorry for putting a crash there. Uh, you, okay. you know, you hear the uh, you know the the weather reports there, like in the likes of Greece and other mm-hmm. European countries. The absolute heat that's uh, that's promised or that has been there over the last week. We've seen in Greece. Yeah. And, uh, I know forest fires and all that, but uh, you know that could be. Um, that that that's what could make it make it a very interesting race if if they are getting those really high temperatures. But are those the tar- type of temperatures maybe that you you'd expect in Belgium? Um, not really. I wouldn't expect the temperatures to get too scary on yeah. the Belgium Grand Prix. Really, I think the only thing that's going to really worry anybody is the weather. And again. You know, it's one of those tracks. Weather normally means certain people will do certain uh, better at certain things. It's one of those tracks where that doesn't really matter. Now, the forecast is 
rain, 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 and more rain. So like Ireland. It, well, yeah, they may as well move over here. The, the, the thing about it, I suppose, is that doesn't really throw us up anything interesting because, of course, you know, if it's raining one day and dry the next day, well, then that means, you know, performance from one day doesn't exactly match the performance of the next day. So that could be interesting, yes. But I think with the consistency of rain sort of all three days, uh, I, I, I think you're, you're a bit out on that one, unfortunately. It will mean to sort of slower races, maybe it'll mean, you know, maybe it's going to probably lessen overtaking as well, the amount of rain that's going to be there, because, you know, even with DRS, you can't go as fast as you'd like. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I suppose really with, um, you know, qualifying times as well, um, you know, I suppose if you were compared last last season to this season, taking into account the, uh, the layout of it, what would you would you be thinking uh, would be the average kind of time, or is it's kind of very hard to pin down a, an actual qualifying time really on this one? It is really it's a it's it's a bit of an oddball track that way. To be quite honest with you, if we look back, what have we got last year? Last year is two thousand and two um, podium uh, pole position was a one forty four two. That's reasonable enough, I have to admit. That is pretty reasonable for this track. Um, and you had, let's see, uh, you had a fastest lap of a 149.3 by Max Verstappen. No great surprise there. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an unusual. I wouldn't see... We're not going to get here that time at all with the rain, really, are we? I mean, you can, you can add another four or five seconds onto that, depending on the weather, as to say, you know, so... Yeah, like we said in, in other races, there it could be it could be fine and it could be fine for qualifying, and then it could lash rain on 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 the day of the race or vice versa. So that that's that, you yeah, know well, the, the plans go out the door then, really, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah. well, that's exactly it. I mean, yeah, the forecast rain for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but you'd have to scratch your head and say, well, how much rain? Are you going to get for Friday and Saturday, Sunday? Are you going to be on intermediates one day and full wets the next day? That that is a question that that people could ask. I suppose you have to plan for both eventualities, really, isn't it? Then, well, I suppose. But how can you? Difficult enough to do that too. Like, I mean, well, yeah, it is going to be a very difficult situation for anybody. You know, once the weather is there, look. It, it, it's a long lap time. At least it's over seven kilometers. You've only to do forty-four laps on the day, perhaps. You know, perhaps that'll be a good thing on the day, I suppose. Now, the man with the most wins here is Michael Schumacher. He's got eight wins. And, of course, the team constructors with the most wins is Ferrari with a whopping 18 wins here. I don't think they're going to make it 19 this weekend. And uh, I suppose the, the drivers that are there now, like, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, with 10 minutes to go, um, like, who has the most wins in the current in the current drivers? Oh, I wonder. Have, um, you know, let you me have to ask the question, don't you? I mean, it's just. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that one up now. It's just terrible. Really well, I, I will make one prediction, and Max Verstappen will win it. There you go. <laughs> here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Um, I, I have it here. My fingers are working tonight. Um, repeat wins. Okay, right. So yeah. Michael Schumacher got it in ninety-two, ninety-five, ninety-six, ninety-seven, two thousand one, and two thousand two. Well, it was over a, a remarkably short period of time. Right. So let's go down. Uh, Lewis Hamilton. 
is the one that's one of the most in the current drivers. He's won it four times, 2010, 2015, 2017, and 2020. So he is the one out there at the minute who's won it more than anybody else. After that, yeah, Max Verstappen would be second. He won it last year and the year before. So 2021, 2022, Max Verstappen. And he has won it twice. And between the two of them, yeah, they're the only ones that have got anywhere. The, the rest of the people in there is Ayrton Senna won it five times. Uh, Jim Clark and Kimi Raikkonen won it four times. And then you're all the way down Fangio, Damon Hill, Sebastian Vettel three times. So you're you're into, you know, sort of uh, the zone where you're getting into really old drivers. What is interesting, actually, is Alberto Ascari won it twice, 1952 and 1953. Now, that's after picking up something into my head because I did notice something earlier on um, that I had spotted on race day, and I made a note of it, and I was trying to figure out exactly what had done that. Um, here we are. Yes, um, seventh consecutive win um, by Max uh, Verstappen. Seven consecutive win he has just got. Now, that has only ever been achieved by four drivers. And this is what got me thinking when you just said Ascari, because the only other four drivers that have done that is Sebastian Vettel, Nico Rosberg, Michael Schumacher, and Alberto Ascari. You see, the hype is working tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Despite everything else. Yeah, As Alberto Ascari, you have to go back on that one into the 50s for seven consecutive wins. Um, that's an absolutely incredible thing to say really isn't it Alberto Ascari as we know unfortunately who died in 1955 racing at Monza and uh, an amazing driver it was just a wee while people have won the race consecutively there you go so one thing leads on to another Uh, as for teams who have won currently Ferrari of 18 and McParran have won it 14 times would they like it to win it a 15 time I wonder because they wouldn't say no I'm sure they wouldn't say no because other than that you have Mercedes with seven and Red Bull have only won it five times as a team so let's wait and see what happens with that one but it is a particularly unusual one isn't it? <laughs> it's it and I suppose you know it's going to be it's going to be an interesting race uh, in a lot of ways but I suppose um, right we, we, give us your, your top four my top okay yes I always go for this uh, well I think oh you were surprised when I came up with that one didn't you oh you never saw that coming absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely I think Max Verstappen might finish in first place I'm not sure but I think he might depends on what way the wind is blowing I suppose you know Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it was going from left to right in the first half. Uh, Longest is now so southwesterly. He hates the southwesterly wind. But anyway, <laughs> um, second and third has always been reasonably, second, third, and fourth, always been reasonably, you can guess the people. Now it's gone totally different altogether because. You've McLaren's that weren't there before have suddenly come out of absolutely nowhere. You've Fernando Alonso, who's like a bull at the minute, and I can tell you if they give him even a sniff of that car being a bit quick, he'll go for it. Hamilton's kind of on a bit of a resurgence, although maybe it was a bit of a downer now coming forward, I'd say, compared to to hitting pole uh, position for the race, and then basically, you know, being taken by three cars in two corners. Um, 
So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Sergio Perez was is on a bit of a, a push too because his year has been bad. And I'm sure Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz are on happy campers at the moment too. So, it's kind of hard to pick. I would say Lando Norris is going to finish second or third. That man's on a roll at the minute. The only thing I would like to say is if he does finish in second or third, this time he won't damage the Winners' Cup. Um, I don't know if you heard about that one, but um, let's just say he was very glad to finish second in Hungary, and there was a little piece of, how will I put it, unbridled joy and prancing around the place on the podium, and there was a little bit of a, a, a something got overknocked and mildly damaged. Absolutely embarrassing situation number 403 Oopsie. He said he didn't do it purposely I would doubt anyone would do that purposely Max took it as a joke anyway It could be problem. a design feature You could put it down as it, a, you know. could, could, could be a design feature <laughs> This is my winner's trophy As, as, as marked by See, see uh, this yeah. time I, I, I created that That's <laughs> His contribution <laughs> <laughs> so if Lando does finish second or third, he won't knock the trophy this time, and it won't oh, get damaged. <laughs> yeah, he have to improve his, his, his balance. But uh, I suppose just to the, so that's it. That's your top four there. So uh, just to let you know, folks, that um, of course we're running a competition uh, for a signed copy of the Rattler Mickey Burns um, book. Uh, it's a signed copy, like I just said there. Uh, you know, uh, Michael, Michael was just very impressed when I, when I mentioned the, that there. Um, so you can enter them anyways. You can just send in the Rattler in the subject in the subject box of the email and just send us your, your name, address and phone number to Aiden, or sorry, to Friday Sport on RossFM at Outlook.com or else... Um, GA view on Rossfem at Outlook.com. And also, you can also send in a text or a WhatsApp message with the Rattler, which are followed by your name, address, and phone number. And uh, to the uh, mobile number that that was mentioned at the start of the show, and we will give away that. And also, just to let you know that the podcast of this and all my interviews will be available on Mixcloud. So just go on to Ross FM Sport, and you'll find all the inter, inter all the uh, interviews on that. I'm in the process of uh, transferring all of them all onto uh, Mixcloud, as well as uh, Spotify and uh, also other other platforms as well. So uh, I have heard you using fax machines again. The what? I have heard you using fax machines again. Oh no no they're terribly outdated. No we don't use we don't use them. No 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 we're 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 a modern progressive. Sure now. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. There you go. So we're all we're all ultra ultra technology. So, uh yeah. So thanks very much for coming for uh, taking the time out to do uh, the last word on Formula One, and we're looking forward to looking back at the uh, the Belgium Grand Prix next week. No problems at all. Pleasure as always. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Mike O'Grady, our Formula One expert. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? You're very welcome back to Friday Sport with myself, Aidan Raftery. And the show's as always kindly sponsored by Best Drive here in Roscommon Town. Well, we have another uh, special guest, someone we had on last year on the show and uh, who did very well in the Euro- in the European Youth Olympics. And that is Holly Carroll. Hello, Holly. How are you? Are you well? Thanks for having me. No problem. It's great to have you on board. And uh, I'm sure everyone here in Ross FM and I'm sure all the listeners would like to say well done on the 
on uh, qualifying yet again for another uh, European Youth um, Olympics. And uh, I suppose tell, tell us a bit of, a bit about your preparations and what you what went on and your preparations from last uh, from last summer until uh, qualifying for now. A lot a lot of hard work goes into it. Yeah, well, since last year, I have kind of been out injured. So when I came back from Slovenia, I tore a ligament in my ankle and I had surgery on my nose. So the healing recovery for that was quite slow. So when I finally got back training in about late December, January, I came down with bad shin splints. Mm. And I just have been out quite injured for most of the year, really. So... This year, I'm just so happy to actually have got it. And yeah. I'm going out with goals, but I'm mainly just happy to have got it after the year I've had. So, Yeah, I mean, the, to, to think that you, you qualify for this despite all the injuries and setbacks you've had, uh, you know, it's a lot of time lost. So that, that says a lot about yourself and I suppose the hard work you've put in since December uh, to still uh, to still qualify. So, you know, look, when anyone gets injured, I, when I was playing, I, I was frustrated if I was out for six weeks, never mind the length of time you were out. So uh, I suppose that there's other things you, you, you have to do, I suppose, to, to kind of take your mind off that. Yeah, it was very frustrating and used to be in talking or used to be in training every day to not being able to train but luckily I had um, Richie Feeney in the gym and he helped build back up and even though I couldn't run I was able to do gym with him and he was able to get me back to where I needed to be. And of course, like you know, preparations for this, uh, I suppose, because uh, you, you were only back training from last from de- December. Um, I suppose you, you had a lot of training to do, and I suppose um, you know qualifying events to go. Could you tell us through? Take us through those. Well, um, I got kind of. I didn't get to do indoors, which is in February, mm. so I had that disadvantage mm. and I know, um, another girl had got the standard in an indoors so I had a lot to come back and do so I just did lots of competition and my times just weren't getting there and then finally they started to pull together and I was kind of me and that girl were like t- neck and neck and then it came down to the last competition and luckily I got it that's it. I mean that that sport, isn't it? It can be cruel and it can be kind. But you were saying there about the preparations you were doing there with Richie Feeney, fair play to him. It's great to uh, you know you're going to a, a local guy and all that. So tell us a bit about the a bit about the preparations he did with you and and you did because I suppose it was kind of hard to come back after injury and next thing straight into the training. So what sort of things were you doing in the gym with him? Yeah, well, um, I'd been with him about two or three times a week. And we'd be doing a lot of strength work. So just building back the muscle, building back everything that I'd lost, building back my power, my speed, my explosiveness. So he was really, really, really talented and I wouldn't be here without him. That's it. And I suppose really when you're coming back from injury for, for a certain period of time, you're also kind of a bit weary in case maybe you'd be running or you'd be, you know, you'd be doing an event and it, may be, it might uh, set you back. So there, there's probably an element of... Uh, Mental strength, mental strength required in that as well. Yeah, definitely. Like every time I felt a niggle, I was just so like eerie about it. Just I didn't want to go back to where I was. But luckily, Richie was 
so helpful and got me around that. And then my other coach, Dermot, up in Sligo, he's another yeah. Well, main main guy, and he's just yeah. been helping me through everything. That's it, and I mean, uh, you know, you're 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 uh, doing the main. Your your shop front is to say you're you're uh, doing all winning, doing all the races and doing the qualification. But there's there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the background as well that uh, that get you to this. And I suppose no none more so, I suppose, than your own family as well. They're encouraging and helping you through things. Yeah, of course, my mommy. <laughs> taking me everywhere, doing everything for me. She's just, she puts in so much time into it and she just does everything she can to help me get to where I want to be. That's it. And I suppose look, looking ahead to the, the tournament itself, where is it going to be? Where is it going to be held and when is it going to be held? This year it's in Slovenia um, and um, we're flying out tomorrow. Oh, very so good. Heading, we're heading to Dublin today and from tomorrow till next Sunday, we're going to be in Slovenia, and I'm racing on Monday, and hopefully Wednesday if I make the final. That's and then with, with the relay team, I'm going racing Thursday, and again hopefully Saturday if we make the final. That's it, and well done on that. And of course, uh, you know it's uh, you're you're going to be busy. You're going to be busy over there. So I suppose uh, you know there's been a lot of uh, there's been great coverage for you in um, in the papers as well. And I suppose everyone has been sending you congratulations and all that. And that that includes myself and everyone here at Ross FM and my own family here. Um, I suppose how did you find out about it, or when, when were you when were you told? Was, did, was the did the coach tell you as well, or did you get a letter in the post, or how were you? How did you find out? Yeah, it's so nice to see all the support, and it really does help and boost the confidence. But I got an email about I think it was about three months now, and ever since I've had to keep it a secret. So it's not easy. Yeah, you might slip sometimes when you're having a conversation with someone, but keeping it a secret until the 12th of July when the team was announced. So That's great. And of course, you, you would have been kind of um, involved in the school in the, at school's level as well, or you, you would have been uh, going to school as well. And I suppose your, your schoolmates and everything, they would have been uh, delighted for you and giving you great support as well. Yeah, the school have been quite helpful as well. And just posting good luck and helping them. And it was in a schools event that I got my final time in the Skills All-Ireland so I came second That's great. got my qualifying time and of course there, everyone everyone is very proud of you the family and everything is proud of you and it's, uh, this is something you're, you're, look for, you're looking forward to as well because I suppose you, you know you did well in, in last year's event as well and I suppose you know the day before whatever you, you, had, an, you had an injury as well which meant you, you couldn't uh, be involved but uh, I suppose you know it's hopefully this uh, it won't happen this time you'll, you'll have a, a clean sweep and uh, you'll get to you'll get to the finals and uh, you, have, you have a few events you were saying as well which is great and uh, it's, it's good for the confidence as well Yeah I'm lucky to have it this year so I'm experienced and I'm prepared and I know what's ahead of me so I just know what to do yeah, so that and that's the main thing, and I suppose the coaches and everything. Yeah, you have, the, as you said, the benefit of of last year as well. So, what parts? Um, I suppose uh, would you be? Are you looking forward to most, or the the, the things you find enjoyable when you, when you go out there? That uh, we say are the things you enjoyed aside from uh, uh, not not saying about the injury side of things, but I mean just the whole experience uh, from last year that you would be looking forward to this year. 
I love like once you get out there, you're treated like a proper athlete and your whole life is just resolved around the athletes and you're in an Olympic village like the Real Olympics. So you've your food tent, which all the countries meet up. So you get to meet people from all around Europe and it's just so cool. And you're in Olympic villages with different countries. So when you're going down to the common area where you meet everyone and it's just it's really cool. And then obviously getting to step out on a track wearing an Irish vest is hard come by. So it's amazing when you get to do it. And you'll be, you'll be here, the, you'll be listening to the national anthem, hopefully being played uh, if you get on well. And uh, I suppose uh, another thing as well, you know, where it all starts is the club, uh, Suck Valley Suck Valley Athletics Club. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? And you saw the um, the coaches there as well would have put a lot of hard work and uh, you, that's where it all started for you, putting in the ho- all the hard work since you, you started way back when. Yeah, well, I started in Roscoe AC and then... During COVID, we swapped over to Suck Valley, which was a new club set up by my own coach, Dermot, up in Sligo, and Donald Flynn. So it was um, a new club, so I moved over to it, and they can never do enough for me. And anything they, that I need, they do for me, and it's just... It's very helpful to have them. And of course, it's great to see the growth in athletics as well uh, that we've seen over the over the years, and especially in in the the women's events as well. It's it's great to see that. And I suppose that uh, you know you you've probably seen over the last couple of years as well the uh, the amount of kids taking them up as well. Like, because I suppose you know not every sport is for everyone. So um, you know it's it's good for for those for some kids to take up the athletics. And I suppose uh, which which you've all been involved. Uh, you know, with the county, with, with the county board, with the county board for the for the athletics, that's great as well. And I've had uh, plenty of interviews with her as well. It's great to it's great to get the coverage on on athletics as well, isn't it? Yeah, girls' athletics or just athletics in general never was publicised enough in the in Ireland. It was always football and rugby. So it's great to see such a change and how much athletics has really brought up Ireland and. Rashid Adelecki over in America just went pro and like it's just amazing to see such talent that can be produced from Ireland and then like such an inspiration. That's it and I suppose really uh, bringing it more locally um, I suppose women's sport uh, up to about seven, eight, nine years ago uh, it wouldn't have got the covers but now now you see locally now there's uh, like yourself in the athletics, I suppose, uh, you know, Lisa O'Rourke uh, and Aoife O'Rourke now in the boxing and uh, much more. It's great. It's great for to see um, the women's women's sport uh, doing so well now as well. And uh, I suppose the coverage now we see it in, in ladies Gaelic football and in Camogie, uh, the coverage it's getting on TV and in the media, which is which is thoroughly deserved. Yeah, no, it's amazing to see the talent in Roscommon and it's come on so amazingly and Aoife and Lisa are so talented and they're such nice girls and it's amazing just to see them walking around the streets just normally and yeah so hopefully we can get a running track in Roscommon so that'll make running a bit easier that's it yeah I was talking to your 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 mum about that as well and hopefully that's something that can be done because it, it, it's very it's very important to to get that up and running and that, that'll help with the development and uh, 
you know, I suppose the the, the growth even more, and uh, you know, it is a, it is an important uh, uh, an important sport, and it's great to see it. So, listen, Holly, we'd like to thank you very much for taking the time out to do. I know you're you're busy, as you said, you're heading to the airport today and flying out tomorrow. So, we'd like to wish you all the best. And there was actually I was doing a Roscommon LGFA yesterday with um uh, with, with Ellen Hines and I was say, saying about yourself as well and she said oh yeah she said I, I follow her as well and it's great to see so uh, she she was wishing you she was giving you all the best as well so uh, well done and hopefully we might touch base with you when you get back and uh, we, we can uh, have a chat about uh, how what happened and all that and uh, I suppose that stay injury free is the main thing and have a, have a safe flight over there thanks so much for having me again no and problem. Have a catch up when I come back. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Holly Carroll, who has qualified for the uh, the European Youth Olympics. Hello. Um, I also forgot to say there that uh, Holly Carroll, who uh, went to the uh, European Olympic, uh, the European Youth Olympic Games uh, last week, she uh, she she was racing today in the girls medley uh, medley relay, and uh, Ireland came fourth in that. So we'd like to say well done to to Holly and her teammates and uh, everyone involved and the coaches and say well done. And we'll have more of an update on Holly next week. So until then, bye.